Hello and welcome to the Aussie Nerds Podcast. Finally, we have some classics. It's raining, but we're happy because we're doing Singing in the Rain. Yes. Uh, with my guest, whose real name probably isn't Shipper. It's not, but people call me and I start to think of myself that way anyway. So. <laughs> I have a very niche um, YouTube idea. Oh. Yeah, uh, I'm Shipper's Guide. I run a channel dedicated to shipping and fan culture, which some people feel should stay on Tumblr, but I feel it has a place on YouTube. So well, it can't yeah. be on Tumblr anymore. <laughs> parts of it can, not the whole part. <laughs> <laughs> not the parts everyone wanted. <laughs> I heard that um, Pornhub, Pornhub always does the thing where they put themselves in the press and they're like we'll buy yeah. Tumblr and we'll let porn be on it it's like <laughs> hey, that's apparently something people want <laughs> this is not where i thought this would start starting off right <laughs> <laughs> we're doing singing in the rain with debbie reynolds as the best just in general <laughs> and gene kelly at his gene kellyest so <laughs> everyone's dancing and i love that the comic sidekick has got a song about the fact that he's the comic sidekick yes and it's honestly one of my favorite ones in the movie <laughs> it's very cheerful and happy it has nothing to do with the plot which is which makes it better because <laughs> he's also got nothing to do with the plot <laughs> that he keeps it up i guess well i'm just i'm so glad he's there and actually he has well he's Part of the reason for one of the lines that me and my dad quote all the time, because this is one of those movies that I've been watching since I was a kid. I've seen this movie so many times. It was actually on um, a bootleg VHS from back in the day. Uh, it was a double back feature. When piracy used to be hard. <laughs> yes, when you actually had to really work at it. it. So it was a double feature too. There were two movies on the disc, and that was the first one, and the second one was Mannequin. So, <laughs> so you know. He just goes straight from singing in the rain to mannequin. There's that great shot where they um, have the the billboard of sing in the rain and they're like, yay, we got our own musical, finally, mannequin. <laughs> like, this is the movie we needed to make. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I've seen this movie um, close to uh, 45 million times. Mm -hmm. uh it's delightful it's great and i'm like and so i rewatched it for this uh mm -hmm. to to see stuff that i didn't pick up on because of the thing and i'm like what was the first musical after the jazz singer that got uh that started the musical boom because the jazz singer wasn't the first musical it had seen in it by like, the whole big broadway production and mm -hmm. to my delight it was called The Gay Divorcee. And I'm just like, well, that's a title. <laughs> I remember there was a, a meme going around Twitter a few months back, I think, when people discovered it, And they were like, this movie isn't about what I thought it was about. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> but it's still good. It's still good. <laughs> I demand a remake. <laughs> With the starring same Alan Cumming. 
I would watch that. That would be amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I love it. So, uh, so I saw that one and it's, it's delightful. It's cheery. And this is basic and singing in the rain is basically the making of documentary of it. Yeah. <laughs> what I like about, singing in the rain and what's kept me coming back to it over the years is that it introduced me to a subgenre of films that have become my favorite which is movies about movies made by hollywood about them doing stuff in hollywood because i like to see the tone that they take because for me singing in the rain is very similar to a much later film the artist but they approach the topic in two completely different ways because there is that element in singing in the rain where it's like sound is coming the silent era is over and there's this whole new thing but it's approaching it from this like comedic outlandish look at this new genre of thing that we're lampooning kind of way whereas the artist approaches it from like oh my gosh like everything's ending it's all over so it's it's very interesting to see like two sides of the same coin also because it's made so close to when that era had finished which is another thing that I find fascinating about it. So they were still in the uh, the honeymoon period. Of, yeah. Uh, sound came in and I'll have all of these musicals because like superhero movies are now to what um, musicals were in the 30s, 40s and 50s. Yeah. Especially in the 50s. Um, and it's great. And I don't know, what I want to know is when did black and white stop being used? Because it's like, you have this in the 50s, but you got other TV shows in the 60s that were still in black and white. It's a, it's a money thing. It's a, like being able to update and afford as it becomes more and more affordable and easier to do it, then they do it. Because even back in the day, like Wizard of Oz, yeah, they got it in color, but at great effort and great expense that the light's being so close to the poor actors. So it's like, you could do it, but did you have the time and the money to spend? So it makes sense that a lot of the musicals and like these big showy, like show pieces essentially would spring for it but something like tv especially with how tv used to be regarded would not bother with it and for like big musical numbers and comedies um you have color but with like dramas you don't mm -hmm. only if you start to get it later on with like the big epics anything like you know like oh it's time for the ten commandments in color i'm like it gets its own cue card i and love it every time i'm like uh in Technicolor. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> like, whatever it is, it looks dated, but that's fine. <laughs> I love it. I don't, like, I'm more inclined to forgive, like, special, like, practical effects that look dated because they look like they have more effort put in them, even though... Oh, I love practical effects so much. In fact, there are some things that I feel shouldn't be restored. Like, I was watching um, Star Trek the other day, and it was the Blu-ray edition. Mm -hmm. And I was like, listen, not everything needs Blu-ray. Some things are fine with all of the scratches and the cheesy effects. Leave it alone. Like I don't the mind um, them putting it in HD. I just don't want them to get rid of the whole um the, the the cheap or the weird way that, that it looks yeah that thing they do where they're like what if we just cg'd over it and you're like no please no. don't do have you not seen the 2011's the thing <laughs> worked out great for them i know it's a classic film that everyone will remember and still talks about. 
the only reason anyone ever brings out the 2011s the thing is that they're like have you seen the behind the scenes footage when they had practical effects man they ruined it well the only like i always for some reason it comes up where i work they're like yeah that stupid scene with the axe where they made a big deal about sticking the axe in the wall and i'm like yeah i remember that where they're like this axe we need to put it there for the next movie because they need to find it so stick that axe right there in that wall that's so dumb <laughs> like things like singing in the rain and mm. i will drag us back whenever <laughs> we get off topic but things like singing in the rain that was like a send-up or a, a parody or just an homage to mm. like old hollywood it's this loving homage that also acknowledges a lot of the things that were wrong with it and still were at that point, which is part of what I love about it is that it's, it doesn't ignore a lot of the things that were going on, but instead plays with them and presents them to you in this farcical way. But at the same time, because of the era it's in, they can't exactly take that veneer and shine off of Hollywood just yet. So they do still have to like kind of keep that little bit of, they're doing as much as they can at the time. Like they can't make it look completely gross. Well, they don't and, want it to look gross. It's not that kind of movie. Well, nobody, yeah, it's definitely not. It's, oh, this is a totally useless fact that- um, Most of my no one, facts are. I'm going to tell you about it. So um, <laughs> Sid Charisse, the, mm-hmm. um, the dancer that he has that um, dance sequence of, with in the Broadway sequence in the club before she goes off with the men with money. She's actually related to Kira Norris from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And that's your useless fact that no one needs to know. Da, 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 da. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> that's one of my favorite sequences in the movie though. I would watch that over and over again when I was a kid. I just thought it was so well choreographed. I love the choreography in that scene. I love the Singing in the Rain um, song as well mm-hmm. and I, I it's so delightful and he's jumping in puddles and stuff that's part two of the two-parter because they sing another song about how great it is and how happy they are even though it's dark and raining yes before that with good morning yes and i i love it so your favorite song uh is the one about the cop being the comic relief sidekick make him laugh yeah, yeah. <laughs> It is. It's just all of the effort that goes into that sequence and the way they're running through all of the sets and the fact that he like did it all, like he had to do it so many times. Like everybody actually gave their all in that. Like even in the singing in the rain scene, like Gene Kelly has a fever and he's like, no, I'm still doing it. Still going for it. Take however many, 103, let's do it. (laughs) I I love that. And I love, and you know what my favorite scene is? What? One word. Dignity. Mm. <laughs> the, whole, the whole movie for me is just, it's so quotable. And I think that's why it's one of my favorites. Like, it's one of those rare movies where I don't think there's a sequence that I dislike. There are sequences that I could cut. Like, that's just my editor's mindset. But there's not one that I actively, I'm like, ugh, that didn't need to be in there. Or like, oh, I wish they hadn't done that, you know? I, I don't can't think of anything the reason i like the dignity scene is because a it's hilarious the contrast it's like i spent all my time doing like dramatic shit and then and then it's just them dancing and the song's nice Mm -hmm. but it's not dignity (laughs) 
I love the contrast. And it's also about the lie that is old Hollywood mm-hmm. and how um, you have the silent era of everyone doing all their stunts and... <laughs> And also, they're completely constructed backstories, because back in the day, PR people worked hard, like, just completely fake everything, your whole life, your name, just everything about you. They're so good, um, they're so good at faking it, that, that, uh, the the woman that is, uh, his lead in those things thinks that they're dating. Mm -hmm. That's what the magazines say. (laughs) I love her. I love Lena. So like, great. I know you're not Lena. supposed to, and I'm like, I don't care. Lena's awesome. Like <laughs> she's like Umbridge. She's just so hateable. <laughs> oh, she's perfect for it. Like, she's so perfect for it. She also did great physical comedy when she had the mic on, and they pulled it. Mm-hmm. And then she just did a flip. It's so great. <laughs> Are they really singing? I know the actors are really singing other characters because you have like all these weird out of place songs that would be weird and out of place if they were real. But also yeah. the cop is giving them like, what the fuck are you doing dancing? <laughs> in the, the night look. Um, they have their speech therapist that's like, oh shit. <laughs> Another musical. And the one that really got me is the Good Morning song. The entire mm-hmm. reason they decide to do the lip syncing use the demonstration for them singing "Good Morning." Mm-hmm. So, I love I love musicals, but this one blurred the line a lot. Oh yeah, it it's, it definitely straddles the whole like is it diegetic or non diegetic divide. But I kind of like that because I feel yeah. like it went with the whole theme of like what they're doing and what they're working on like the, it's so quintessentially a musical in every way like everything about it down to the fact where it's just completely blurred about they're living this musical creating this musical <laughs> at the same time and it's just I guess it's it's fun it's one of the movies that I can genuinely say like it's a fun time watching and for me really holds up and I love classic films but not all of them hold up like some of them I have to start with like a long prefacing speech of like listen so there are some things but like this one I don't have to do <laughs> I I love it there was, there was a ton of stuff that's great my favorite not my favorite because my favorite thing is the dignity one but another thing that I like is um they they showed the struggle that actors went through between the silent era and the talkies Mm-hmm. when that great dialogue sounds great when it's written but when he has to say I love you, I love you, I love you oh, I love it and the guy walking out of the theatre I love you, I love you <laughs> <laughs> does not sound great I love it it's so fun uh, it's like um, it reminds me when they walked out it reminded me of the producers mm-hmm. when um, they, the opening night song Mm-hmm. Everyone's just so happy and it's so shit, and they're hiding <laughs> in the background. <laughs> they, by the way, six mm-hmm. weeks you can turn what has been deemed a disaster into a great musical in six weeks. That's that's some good direct reshoots right there. That is the importance of reshoots. That was some crunch. Everybody crunched. There is like no one went home for that <laughs> period of time. They lived there. Ah, oh, God. 
it's just so great that all of them are dancing and, and there's like, there's one scene that I uh, don't like and it's at Which the one? very end. Mm-hmm. It's at the very end with, um, and where, and it would have been better if, um, if Debbie Reynolds was in on the plan, right? But because she wasn't in on the plan, it was just seemed so harsh and cruel and you didn't need it. Right? You could have the audience be in on the plan as well. I think I think it's supposed to be so that like you, you know, they want her to seem indignant. Like I don't know what that says about what he thinks about her acting, that he doesn't think she'll be able to pull it off appearing indignant. <laughs> but if they do that, then you can't have that dramatic scene where she runs down the aisle and then he's like, everybody stop that girl. That's the voice you heard tonight. <laughs> also, you don't get Cosmo behind the curtain, which is one of my favorite scenes when he runs out after her and like takes over midway through the song. You, you start that entire song where, um, that, but it's just that she's part of the plan. So you have Debbie Reynolds singing behind the curtain and then, mm. um, and then Lee, Lena? Yeah, Lena. Lena uh, singing in front but she's also in on the plan. You can have that entire, entire scene play out. If she was in on the plan, it would have been better. I don't know. My thing is that when would they have had time to do that? Because Lena pulls her whole like thing like right there. She's like, I'm going to be the person who makes the speech <laughs> and like runs out there. And then she's like, great. All right, we'll let you do that. Have fun. Because she didn't only do the, vo- the, um, di- the singing, she also did the uh, dialogue. Yeah, her speaking voice as well. It's funny because that actress has a really nice voice. So she's putting on that voice for the movie. It takes a really talented actress to play a bad actress. Yes, it really does. I. Oh God, she didn't do so much bad. after, which is too bad because I liked her too. I mean, I love Debbie Reynolds, but like I liked her too. She She's great. But if you're, uh, especially at that time, if you're just playing the buffoon, mm-hmm. uh, then... It's all about image. Oh, it is. Did you know that Gene Kelly actually once tried to do a film noir? Really? It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm just like, man, what is this? He's like trying to play against type. I'm sitting there watching and I'm like, like, no, it's It's not working. It's like when Arnold Schwarzenegger tries to be normal people. You're a mountain. (laughs) Yeah, I've never seen him successfully approximate just like i'm just an average guy (laughs) the closest that he came was kindergarten cop and the entire joke of that is that he's a kindergarten teacher but also a mountain i actually just rewatched that recently i was like it came on netflix and i was like oh my god kindergarten cop apparently he's voicing um a character in a show called super kindergartners oh gosh a superhero show with kindergarten is in it. And I just filled Facebook with kindergarten cop memes. I think that's what they want. That's what they're going for. They're like, we know who our target audience is. People who are specifically nostalgic for kindergarten cop. <laughs> and superheroes. There's a crossover exactly. there. It's made for me, is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like, it's a little niche, but we'll find our audience. That one guy. <laughs> <laughs> He'll spread the word on Facebook and it'll be good. <laughs> it's brilliant <laughs> so you were mentioning when we were talking a little before is this gonna be like your gateway into more musicals uh yeah more musicals i've seen a bunch of modern musicals 
but I haven't seen any old musicals. Mm-hmm. I watched Sing in the Rain. Uh, I watched The Gay Divorcee, but I haven't seen anything pre like 1980. Mm. Uh, so I can't wait because there was a boom of musicals as soon as sound came out. Yeah. They and they that. stay. There's a huge chunk of history where they're just being produced en masse before, you know, the public sours to them a little, you know, a little after the 50s. Um, I know they blame it on Oklahoma, but... <laughs> I think that Oklahoma, I haven't seen it, but I think that Oklahoma wouldn't have stopped if it was still in the boom. Yeah. It's just, musicals are so the antithesis of what was working, being worked towards for that tiny period in the 70s before the blockbuster comes and just derails everything and is like, Jaws, this is what we're doing now. Enjoy. Now movies. Hmm? Now superhero Oh, yeah. Movies. So you, we, we're in the third stage. Apparently there's three stages of, um, of a, a genre before it just becomes dead. Which is, <laughs> the first stage is we're really trying... We're really legit. We're trying to do it. It's great. And then the second stage is everyone knows all the tropes. Yeah. Uh, and then they play off it. And then third stage, which is what we're in now, is we're making. We're now going to make movies that are counter to the thing. So you got things like Brightburn, which is evil Superman. Um, I still have no idea how they got that greenlit and made. I'm like James Gunn. It's legit, just evil Superman. And honestly. I didn't go, like, I haven't gone yet. To me, the concept of evil super I've read comics for years. I think I've seen every evil Superman they've ever thrown at me. I don't know if I need another one, to well, be honest. I, I haven't, to be fair. But well, the reason I like Brightburn is because it's not evil Superman. It's evil Superman, and then in the third act, oh, wait, let's just make a slasher movie. <laughs> right? So you've got this little kid who's got all these superpowers, and he's murdering people horrifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's evil Superman. And the reason they got it made was because of James Gunn. James mm-hmm. Gunn was like, cool, I'll make Suicide Squad, but I have this other thing, and it's totally based on Superman. If you want me to make it, can I make this? And they're like, I mean, fine, we're not going to produce it, obviously, because uh, we got a brand. <laughs> you can go to Sony or whatever. <laughs> They'll take anything. but <laughs> They need a franchise. Yeah, they the need character something. they have is Spider-Man, and they have to share him. Oh, they're going to try that Venom franchise. I can't wait for Woody Harrelson. It's carnage. I can't oh believe God. that they succeeded in that, by the way. They got, like, their Spider-Man movies, and then they got the Venom movie, which made, like, a billion dollars inexplicably. Because it's a hot mess. It's uh, a glorious hot mess, but it is a hot mess. Yep. And then they have the animated Spider-Man universe that they're doing mm-hmm. as well. And it's just like, well, Pixar's given up and DreamWorks was never good. So I guess this. <laughs> DreamWorks had its moments. It occasionally would have a moment where it's like, it's all happening. And it's like, oh, no, it's not again. Like, never mind. Everybody cancel that. It's not actually happening. So, so we've got superhero movies now, but we had the musicals back then. Were there people that were, like, doing send-ups of musicals? Like, you had things like Sweeney Todd on Broadway. Nearer to the end, you started to see a bit more of people, people started to play a bit more with the tropes at the end. It 
didn't quite get to the same level of self-awareness as we would have now. I mean, there was that one Burt Reynolds musical in the 70s that's pretty self-aware. <laughs> it's like a screwball comedy, and it's really odd, but kind of endearing at the same time. But what they did was they tried to cling, and that's what you see with Oklahoma. They're like, we're going to do all the things that people love, but bigger and louder and more. And, like, they try, and it's just uh, people aren't there anymore. They're not there for that anymore. And it just completely fails. Um, I, I think that that's going to happen with superhero movies eventually, probably. Mm -hmm. There's already, like, like uh, the market's already too separate and segregated. So you've got all the big blockbusters coming out in cinemas, and then mm -hmm. you have all the independent and new stuff coming to Netflix and other streaming services. Yeah. Uh, Disney bought Fox because they're fucking morons and assholes and hate them. Uh, so now there's no Fox Searchlight. So I think so, and Disney's not going to make anything interesting. They're just taking the properties that we know, like Star Wars, Marvel. Uh, they're yes. all their classics. They're doing. Mm -hmm. There's no way they'd make the fish sex movie. No. I mean, come on, it's Disney. No, like they're going to. In my opinion, I'm, I'd be thrilled to be proven wrong, but I, I think it's just going to get run into the ground and we're eventually going to have another dead genre. I think it might last longer than the Western or some of the others, but I think we'll eventually get to a point where it's just like, nah, it's done. We're going to make another one of these every few years maybe, but it's not going to be like this huge thing that it was because we're starting to get out of like the A-list heroes and we're getting down to like the C and D list, and he they're trying to make Iron Man, and he was already a C list hero. Oh, he was like he was popular to comic book people, but to try and like they try and present it like everybody knew Iron Man, and I'm like, except that they didn't, but that's okay, you know. I mean, when you Robert Downey Jr., which is why that yeah. one. <laughs> Iron Man is when you go back and look at Iron Man compared to some of the newer ones, like. Iron Man's trying so hard, and I have this really, this fondness for Iron Man, for how genuinely hard it's trying, and I think it really pulls it off, because I think the other thing that's, this happened a bit with musicals, too, if you go back and look at some of the older reviews, is you get to this period where, like, no one will acknowledge when they're bad. Oh, and, I know. And so you're like, no, but... Yeah, like, but this this was bad though, and then everybody's like, no, it was brilliant. Applause. You're like, no, it was it was really bad. Like that thing they're trying to do now, where they're trying to reclaim Thor: The Dark World, and they're like, actually, Thor: The Dark World was the most important film of all time. And I'm like, you know what? You can't do this. You can't do making Thor: The Dark World was great. Uh, that it's like, no, fuck you. It's great. Shut up. <laughs> and I, and like, I looked into it, and it's written by the same writers uh, as dark world and i'm like oh no i understand. like it's our favorite movie how dare you not understand our vision and you're all wrong so <laughs> um so like yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> i i like that um i like that though it's fun i um stopped watching superhero movies after endgame i decided to just and that's oh, not just because no none has come out since but <laughs> like after that I just am like, this is a great place for me to uh, step off and watch like classics like Singing in the Rain and The Gay de Versailles and stuff like that. Yeah, and avoid potential disappointment and oh, yeah, disillusionment. It'll go on forever. Yeah. I think at some point, though, you hit 
that, that wall where you're like, how much more new stuff can I absorb? How many more new things can I get invested in and care about? There's only so much time and hours in the day. And I really enjoy going back to check out classic cinema because as we get older, like I had my daughter recently and just to think that some of the movies that were like movies that I would watch growing up every day are going to be considered classic movies by the time she's old. And I'm like, well, what's that going to make classic, classic movies? They're going to be ancient by that time. There's a, um, there's a theory. I don't know who said it. I, I listened to a lot of movie podcasts. Some, one of them said it where um, um, you have film critics. They're in their thirties and forties. Uh-huh. That they grew up with. Um, people talk about. So you know about things that are 30 or 40 years old. Um, I think Star Wars is the wall now. No one talks about mm. anything before Star Wars. Um, so we've saved things from Star Wars onwards, but anything before that, people don't care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why it requires, um, and we need to keep things available, not just save, because you can get stuff from like the film archives but if it's not available online no one cares yeah and especially if if it's not especially in this era with how rapidly information moves if it's not in the public lexicon or discourse or accessible in any way then it's almost as if it doesn't exist there's a movie out now and i say now this is going to come out in like seven weeks or something but there's a movie out right now called book smart right no one's talking about it because they have like Rocket Man and Avengers and basically Disney shit to talk yeah. about now. But Booksmart is delightful. Uh, it's weird. It's uh, it's perfect. I think everyone will like it, but no one's mm-hmm. seeing it. So you you see it in cinemas, and the rest of you buy it on DVD because you obviously missed it, or, or buy it on Google Movies or some bullshit. Find it somewhere. I, I say DVD, I have a huge DVD collection, but find it somewhere and just watch it because you missed it in cinemas. You didn't. Please see it in cinemas. <laughs> uh, but like, find it somewhere because it's so great. No, I found that when I was younger, and this is how I really got into classic movies, was I did study uh, film in, in um, university. It was one of my majors, but I found I developed a genuine love for it. And so... One of the things I would do when I had spare time and no one to hang out with sometimes and like long breaks, I'd be like, I'm going to pick three movies that I've never seen and I'm going to watch them. I'm just going to go and I'm going to like this era, these movies, let's do it. And sometimes I really miss doing that. Like nowadays for my job and stuff, I only, I tend to watch, you know, what's new, what's current, what's popular. And I do miss just going and diving into some of these more older or obscure or classic works because the singing, uh, singing in the reins of the world need to be appreciated and talked about. And not just because like, Oh, it's this classic movie and like academically you should appreciate it, but also just to experience it. And I think film has become so much of a part of our culture and our history that to really get into it and experience the different types that there are and also to see what it had to say about itself at a different time period is really valuable and really interesting. It also teaches you about the world. Like I watched a German film called M. Have you seen it? Mm -hmm. Yes, I have. Um, It was made in the 30s. And if you want to learn about uh, World War II, 
you don't watch stuff that came out that comes out now about World War Two. You watch stuff that was made just before it started. Mm-hmm. That you can get like the full context of ha- what led up to it and what attitudes and what uh, fears were in people's minds in the thirties. Mm-hmm. There are even there's even a film. I the name of it is eluding me now, of course, but it's about these soldiers who come home after World War II, and it's made in like 1946, and it's all about their struggles readapting to society and like how they can't fit in and stuff. And a lot of sometimes I find that cinema these days gives itself airs is the wrong word, but it's the one that's coming to my mind right now. But this whole like oh we can talk about these things better at the time than they did at the time because we have all this there's a superiority and i'm like no go back and see like people look down on that era of film a lot and they like to be like oh well this was terrible and this was terrible and the studio system and all those things i'm like yes that's true but there are also some very solid valid films made and lots of the things we still do to this day come from this era so don't just don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, you well, know? The remake of Beauty and the Beast, that and the She Couldn't Sing. But <laughs> the reason Beauty and the Beast sucks so hard is because they invented problems. They took a look at cinema sins. They thought that's actual criticism. It's not. <sighs> and then they're just like, we'll fix everything wrong with it. And it's like, fuck you. Nothing was wrong with it. It's fine. There's a real problem with critique right now, I find, in that all critiques are treated as equal and on a level playing field. And so you'll have articles or blog posts that are essentially people writing down or vocalizing a conversation like what you would are, like what you and I would have about a film, you know, after we saw it, we're like, Oh yeah. Like I didn't agree with this, this, this or whatever. And then taking that that's now put into a blog or article format and being like, well, this means that there is an intrinsic problem with this film and we need to go. And it's, no, especially because there are so many different voices coming in at it. And so I find that lots of critique is skewed. And because it's so popular and gets so many clicks to be very nitpicky, I find a lot of people just do that. It would be like if I didn't like singing in the rain because of that one scene where she was left out of the conversation. And it's like, this movie is sexist, even though literally everything about it isn't. including that scene but i could just say that i I was actually i was reading a review today that was doing that to the point where i didn't even know what the movie was about because it got like derailed and this whole like i hated how the scenes were laid out and i'm like what was it about i don't know anything i like i know nothing um like yeah like for for example uh, i i uh have followed a uh, few reviewers. I followed Jeremy Johns for like quick four minute reviews. Yeah. I'm at the cinema. I want to know if this, what's worth watching. I have mm-hmm. that. But uh, for like proper critique, I follow uh, critically acclaimed uh, Whitney Scheibold and William Bibiani. Most mm. no podcast feed. They're like the only ones on there now because everyone's like split off. Yeah. Um, but they have, they talked about Brightburn and they said, uh, it's, it's really good. It's got great horror. It's really weird, uh, the implications of um, that Superman was made so that uh, because of Jewish immigration. Uh, and it's just like, uh, 
foreigners can have um, can help America and be a, a part of society. And mm -hmm. someone could look at Brightburn and and see the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And they're like, it's really weird, but it doesn't matter. It's obviously not what the the uh, filmmakers were going for. Right? And that's a bit of the problem with the death of the author taking over as the dominant viewpoint. Because then a lot of times, even if a film is obviously not trying to make a certain point, but it is possible to read an alternate reading into it, all readings are taken as equally valid even if they're not. And so then you have situations where you're running into things being tweaked, especially when you come into remake and sequel territory and things are being changed or modified that really didn't need to be and nobody was really that upset and now the movie's all the worse for it because it's happened. I don't know what they're gonna do with Mulan because they're definitely remaking Mulan, but I know that they're not ever gonna touch uh, Pocahontas. No. Because... Didn't they, they remove Shang from Mulan, from what I heard? Uh-huh. And I'm very upset about that because I'm like, Shang's bisexual struggle was the most interesting part of they, Mulan. They remove the big buff guy that Mulan um, has a thing for. He loved her when he thought that she was Poe and he loved her after. I, okay, it says a lot about me that the uh, woman I had a crush on uh, was spent most of her time dressed like a man. Like uh, I should have seen the signs, <laughs> but I love Poe. Just in I, I just I don't know how I feel about all of the. Well, actually, I do. That's a lie. I know exactly how I feel about yeah, all the terrible. I don't feel they're necessary None at all. None of them have justified their existence, except for Jungle Book, which is just like, look at the animation we can do. It's like, great, mm -hmm. I'll make a good movie with that. Aladdin's out now, and I, I can't. <laughs> Apparently, um, well, it's great that they have actually cast people from that part of the world, mm -hmm. right? Apparently, they've still westernized it. And they changed one of the lyrics so that um, they accidentally changed the gender of one of the characters they were singing about from female to male because no one bothered to do their research. <laughs> oh. it's, I haven't seen it. I, I haven't either. I mean, I probably will get roped into it. I know, that's the thing with these Disney remakes that also, I guess, irks me is that I know I'm going to end up there. It's, like, it's just like an inevitable like polar force. I'm like, oh, I'll someone's gonna take me someone in my life is gonna be like oh you want to go to a movie and i'll be like yeah sure what are we seeing and they'll be like aladdin <laughs> i'll be like oh. mean, like see that or nothing else <laughs> it's that or dark phoenix i guess <laughs> have you seen the ch i i saw the um so the, the disney posters all look the same now and then um but all of their teaser posters are great like for what for for all of them, all their movie teaser posters, because mm -hmm. uh, they've all, all got simple designs. Like Aladdin's poster, right, looks exactly like every other poster with all the faces and the, and the color scheme. Yeah. But, like the teaser poster is just the lamp. It's just the yeah. lamp title. And I'm like, that's perfect. Use that. But you have to have, like, here's all the stars that are in it. Mm hmm. I was going through a really weird phase the other day where I was just watching old movie trailers 
specifically old horror movie trailers. I don't know why. Terrible. There was one I found actually for a movie called Martin that I actually thought did a really good job at what it was trying to do. But that's what I mean in that it's fun to go back and and look at these different things. But the other thing too is that Singing in the Rain, I think I have a different appreciation of it than someone of that time would as well because I we don't have musicals like that anymore. Like when I was growing up, it's not the prominent form of film anymore. So like it was new and exciting. And so I feel like that's the other fascinating thing about going back and looking at older films is that you're going to appreciate it or not appreciate it in a completely different way than the generations previous. And I think that's something really special, something really unique to, you know, film. And the great thing about Singing in the Rain uh, in particular is that we can look back and, uh, and think of how musicals used to be and how uh, they used to make like these big bombastic musicals with, with like musical numbers that lasted an hour and a half <laughs> and all of this stuff. And it's well choreographed, but if you were watching um, that in the cinema and you were like 40, you remember silent movies. Mm-hmm. And like people that uh, brought their kids there probably grew up with silent movies <laughs> and they remember the transition between silent movies and sound. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole, it's layered. It is. And also now, because there is a whole genre of movies looking at Hollywood, movies about Hollywood, the Hail Caesars of the world, and et cetera, you can almost all like contrast them on a timeline against each other and all of the different things that they're saying and they come together and they really paint a picture. Even when they're being farcical or facetious, they all kind of give you a glimpse into what that world of old Hollywood would have been like. Because we can read about it and that kind of thing, but it's not the same. It's not the same because we don't have a similar, we, we not only don't have a similar system, which many would argue is a very good thing, just for the actors, but we, we don't have the same feel towards cinema or our stars either. So it's like things are not in cinemas anymore. So it's not an effort right? People put in so much effort to make movies, but you can just watch it on Netflix or streaming uh, if you don't want to compete with Disney. And why would you? Right? Yeah. I mean, you'd have to make like a trash movie, like one of the worst Sherlock Holmes movies ever in order for Netflix not to want you. (laughs) Um, And Netflix is just like, we need to build up a bigger library as possible so people stick around for like ages. But that's different to TV, though, because TV is now respected as an art form and yes. respect it as much as they always have because you're always at home to watch TV. So while, like, Disney is making a ton of terrible remakes uh, in all of their studios, that's what bugs me the most because I'm like, I get it. You're making live-action ones. Pixar, what are you doing? <laughs> Coco and everything else. <laughs> But with TV, um, people making interesting and weird shit for TV. I have spent the past six months just watching uh, Lucifer, The Good Place, Lucifer, um, Sabrina, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and Lucifer. Yeah. I watched Lucifer a lot. <laughs> there uh, are 
it feels like there are more risks made there, but that's partially because the blockbuster era, which started way back in the day with Jaws, but then re-solidified itself in the superhero era that really showcased how much money these things could actually make, has really, I think, in the long term, it's going to have a bit of a detrimental effect because when a billion dollars is an attainable goal, you're not going to want to take a chance on something that's going to make, what, 100 million, 200? Like, what's that? Like, who cares, you know? Strange thing. You either got stuff like Brightburn, which will cost you seven million dollars to make, mm-hmm. or you got Avengers. Yeah, but like the fifty or forty million dollar range, Netflix is doing that actually. I miss those though. Like I, I miss, I miss genres. Like I remember growing up in the '90s, and it was like cop movie, cop movie, cop movie, and I'm like, I'm done. I never thought I'd be excited to see one. And then they played the trailer for Twenty One Bridges, and I was like, Oh, thank God, a cop movie. You know, it's just. I, I used to love. Um, I used to love Marvel movies. I used to get really excited. I saw. Um, yeah. My favorite is Captain America, and it never was because Captain America. A, that's a dumb name. <laughs> uh, B, I don't care about uh, America, because I'm 12 and I don't understand context. I barely know what the war is. Um, and But as soon as I grew up and understood all of those things, I'm like, oh, this is great. This feels like the war movies that I saw from the mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. learning about movies, and I made it a point, and this is my favorite thing that I've done. I made a point to see at least five movies from every decade. Mm-hmm. I've seen like 50 movies from the 1800s. It's mm-hmm. great. It's also hard because most of them suck. Yeah, there's there's a couple in there. There are a couple of old, like really old that, you know, but it's hard. It's, it gets pretty rough the further back you go to find something that, I guess my, my favorite of the, tw- of the 20s, Nosferatu. I love Nosferatu. I love Nosferatu. So much. There's a remake, and I'm like, no, don't even, don't even look at it. Get out of here. There is a making of uh, movie called Shadow of the Vampire. Which yes, is- and that one's all right. Yeah, like, I haven't seen it yet, but I've been meaning to see it. That one's all right. Movie. Yeah, no, the making, and also because some of the behind-the-scenes stories I heard about how much they were freaked out while they were making Nosferatu are really interesting. That guy was freaking them out. So. You have old filmmakers, uh, I can't pronounce his name, I can't be bothered, but he's the guy that um, made from uh, To the Moon, A Trip to the Moon, right? With the moon mm-hmm. with just a giant eye and stuff. Oh, George Melies? Yeah, thank you. At least one of us <laughs> can pronounce it. Uh, but he made a second movie, he made hundreds of movies, but he made yeah. a second movie which was exactly the same except for the sun. Yes. Called Journey Through the Impossible, and they take a train to the sun. They just have a train, they go up the mountain, and it's just like, I love it. I really like his movies. There's this this sense of joy and wonder and adventure in them that I just think is so sweet. And I'm like, yes, I love it. Let's go to the moon, you know? Let's go to the moon. Let's wear our top hats and suits because we're proper. <laughs> go to the moon. My favorite thing, my favorite moment in uh, Journey Through the Impossible uh, mm. is when they go to the sun, right? And that's fine. Who gives a shit? But they go out and they, the, the reason that they nearly die on the sun is that they freeze. 
Out of fire. It's just like you're just taking the piss. The, the tragedy of freezing to death on the sun is the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. And no movie has ever topped that moment. <laughs> I love it. He's also uh he's also a magician, so he just invents a bunch of camera tricks and does magic tricks with the camera with camera um stuff. So he realized that he could cut things and he realized that he could do double exposure. He, he did a, a bunch of like magic tricks and I've just watched like hundreds of his movies. And that's why the great. you get out of the old era of films. Like I know people like to hate on Citizen Kane because it's the movie you have to watch. But I actually genuinely enjoy Citizen Kane as a film. I really like it. And I do, I find the techniques that he introduced in it quite impressive and that the narrative at the time was also something new and the flow of it but just these days it's been a long time since i've seen a movie that i felt was trying to innovate and i i I miss that you see that uh every once in a while uh but you can't go to the mainstream with that no innovation does isn't guaranteed money makers no so you have to do weird shit No, and there it's harder, like, there used to be a, a theater by me that played all of the indie movies. Like, there was a big theater and there was a little theater. And the little theater died. So now there's only the big theater. And I'm like, um, my big theater uh, is Event Cinemas, and they play, like, a bunch of, you, you know, they play all the Disney movies and the blockbusters yeah. and stuff. And it's just like, here's the reason he's in Aladdin makes so much money is because he has 50 screenings for Aladdin and he has two screenings for everything else. Yeah. And they do that for like it's opening week when they think it's got to make a bunch of money. Like Rocket Man has like eight screenings per day, but end game had 75 or some bullshit. Oh my, well, the, the other thing too is that they pump it out because they need you to go because like they're hurting. So they need you to go. So I work on YouTube and every ad has been for Rocket Man. It doesn't matter what video I click on, in what genre, what I'm watching, what time it is. Every single one is like, Rocket Man is the best experience you'll ever have in your entire life. And I'm like, this <laughs> <laughs> is better than the birth of your own child. <laughs> yeah. You should be watching Rocket Man while that's happening because <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> like, I don't have that anymore because I have Google and it comes with mm-hmm. YouTube Premium. So I'm just uh, like, yeah. fuck ads. <laughs> I don't want to use ad, but I never use Adblock uh, on <coughs> YouTube because I like them. <clears throat> All right? But I hate ads. So I just got YouTube Premium for, ad, for Adblocker mm-hmm. and I got the um, Google uh, Music as well. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then when, when one time when my card got denied and I had like 24 hours of just ads, I'm just like, oh my God, this is awful. <laughs> I want to people use ad blocker. <laughs> <sighs> um, so my, my uh, cinema plays uh, classic movies. Oh, yeah. Mondays. I have Mondays off. So I, um, I, saw the a- I saw Alien for the first time in cinemas. Oh, nice. What did you think? I thought that it works way better in cinemas because of the sound design. I say mm. way better. Once again, I haven't seen it not in cinemas. 
but it works really well in cinemas because of the sound design. The whole sound design, is, it makes the cinema feel like a haunted house. Mm-hmm. Also, like the, the xenomorphs and like all the lore and world building, fuck that. It's a haunted house in space. They did all of that stuff in the sequels. It's just an alien in space. Yeah, no, Alien and Aliens are just two completely different films. I like them both, but for very different reasons. <laughs> it's like Terminator you can't like them. Terminator 2. They yeah. the genre from horror to action. Mm-hmm. I think it works in both cases, but then both of them, both of those, in my opinion, didn't need to be franchised. Like, both of those are things where I'm like, it's time to stop. It's, they played the trailer for the new Terminator the other day, and I was just like, it's time to stop. It's really time to stop. I, no one's going to see that. Well, people are, because people are sheep. <laughs> I'm not going to see that movie. I'm just going to be like, hey, uh, take a look at this killer robot movie. And it's like, it's got weird special effects. It's Terminator, you fuckers. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I like old movies because, not because they, they're better than modern movies, but because, no. because, like, you find the indie stuff, but because people have already filtered it out. It's just mm-hmm. like, we're going to ignore all of these terrible movies that came out in the 30s and 40s and only, like, talk about and show these really good ones. Yeah, like, you've already separated the wheat from the chaff at that point. Like, people have already decided, like, these are the movies that were the decent ones that hold up and that we care about. Although, I love trash. In fact, at my work, they call me the queen of trash. And so... I tried trash. I love Sharknado 3, and that's it. That's the only bad movie I like. Because it's self-aware. Though... I love trash. Just... But it has to be interesting. That's okay. For me, the worst thing a movie can do isn't be bad. It's be boring. Oh my God. Me too. I have something to talk about if it's bad. Like, have you seen TikTok? No, I haven't. Oh, it's great because they wanted an Oscar. Oh, God. Like, they they put it in, they they made this movie with like Oscar worthy things. Uh, Gary Oldman plays the brother. Oh, my God. No, I know what movie you're talking about. Yeah. Gary Oldman plays the uh, plays a twin brother to Matthew McConaughey, even though he's, like, 10 years older. And yes. That, he, but he's a little person, so he's walking on his knees the entire yes. movie. He's just walking on and his knees. And this came out the same year that The Hobbit did. I remember the trailer had the literal line, and Gary Oldman in the performance of a lifetime. It certainly <laughs> was. <laughs> it certainly was the like whole the, like the, the fucking the, the, the return of the king came out that year they'd had hobbits in it and this motherfucker <laughs> that they wanted an Oscar for like they sent it to Sundance and then at <laughs> Sundance presumably that scene from the producers <laughs> happened <laughs> I love how hard they've tried to bury it since. They're like, no, this Matthew McConaughey movie never happened. What are you talking about? There's no tiptoes. It sounds made up, though. It's, it does. It sounds, like, it sounds like a parody of Oscar bait movies. It sounds like Oscar bait the movie. <laughs> it, well, you know, a lot of Oscar bait movies for me feel that way. Like Burnt. Burnt felt that way to me while I was watching it. Have you seen Burnt? No. I okay, Burnt. So, or is that Chef? Like, Burnt is this Bradley Cooper movie where he's this burnt-out chef who's got to rebuild rebuild his reputation after he, like, went nuts in the kitchen. And so he has to go and, like, 
get his old crew back together, but he's still a raging jerk. And the arc is from him going to from raging jerk to slightly less of a jerk. And it's trying so hard to be an Oscar that midway through he has like, you know, the freak out scene that you have in those movies where he's breaking down and he tries to kill himself with a sous vide bag. And it was trying so hard to be serious, but it was so over the top and ludicrous that I was just like, oh no. When oh, I, was, no. <laughs> I love movies like that. Uh, I love talking about movies like that. I don't actually like watching them. <laughs> I've talked about Star Wars Holiday Special for months and years. But when I actually sat down to watch that thing, the whole way through, the whole way through, it's just so bad. I had a hard time with that one, but for like different reasons, like for how hard they're trying to mask Mark Hamill's accident with the makeup and stuff. And they, they can't just let him be hurt. I wanted to be one of those podcasters that review terrible movies. And mm-hmm. like uh, halfway through Sharknet, uh, halfway through Star Wars Holiday Special, I'm like, I'm just going to do this one where I talk about someone's favorite movie so that I can have good movies to watch. Because <laughs> you couldn't take it? No. I might have a, good, a guilty pleasure month, but I will make fun of everyone on that thing <laughs> uh, if I, I ever do no a guilty guilt. pleasure month. I have no guilt, only pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call it that. I'll call it I have no guilt, only pleasure month. <laughs> but seriously, you're guilty. oh i have so many it was hard because when i think of like a favorite movie like when you asked me there are so many that i enjoy for the wrong reasons so i'm like okay i had to sort through all of those and i'd be like what movie do i genuinely enjoy as a movie (laughs) really good yes that's i love that implied filter (laughs) oh i just so, just, um, okay, here's, here's another thing, because I, I, I love this idea. So, this probably won Oscars. I don't know. I didn't look it up. <laughs> if you could nominate this for best song, which song do you pick? I would pick Singing in the Rain. I mean, it is the song. It's it a- is, and he hadn't performed it again for years until The Muppet Show, when oh, he really? went on... Yeah. Why are we doing this instead of watching that right now? <laughs> like he, um, and he said on there, he was like, he hadn't performed it because he knew that they would never perform it as well as they did in the movie ever again. He was like, they got it perfect. And he was like, no performance was going to match that. But he sang it one more time oh. on the Muppet show and they recreated the set and he danced in the street. And it's my favorite Muppet show episode. God damn it. I love it. I love it too. I haven't seen it. But well, like, also they start. They keep trying to get him to sing it throughout. So they start up the mel- like the medley, and he'll sing one of the other songs from the movie instead. And then finally, <laughs> they get him to do it. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's it's, fun. I I love it. Uh, it's probably my. I love Good Morning. I think that singing there has better dancing, but Good Morning I like as a song better. Hmm. But his dancing and seeing the rain is amazing. It is. And, and he's cop. That cop needs to like cheer up. <laughs> like, it's 2 a.m. It's raining. You're out here and you're bored, obviously, because no one else is here. Enjoy the singing, your cop. And they did a good job working with Debbie Reynolds because she hadn't done much dancing before that. And like so they work hard to make her look, you know, good as for someone who's not as familiar with choreography and stuff like that, especially 
working with someone at Gene Kelly's level, which he's, he's better at that than Fred Astaire. I love Fred Astaire, but he would work his partners to death. That's why he worked with Ginger Rogers so much. She was the one person who could keep up with him. <laughs> <laughs> I... I think that working with, like, when you're, like, got a vision in your head for how you want it to look, and you're just puppeteering everyone, that must be hard for mm-hmm. all the other actors. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. I love that <laughs> singing. I love the dancing. Uh, the song's very cheerful. Good morning. Uh, it's fantastic because it's all of them. To, it's the three of them together. Mm-hmm. And... I have a fondness also for um, You Were Meant For Me because it's a very it's a very meta one as well as he constructs the romantic scene from the set around them as he's singing it and like the movie has so many like meta things like that where they play with filmmaking as they make the film and I think it's just Something so clever. Like in, uh, La La Land? Mm-hmm. They did. They played homage to that in La La Land. That's fun. Uh, one of the big complaints that um, that some critics have with La, La Land is that they're not great singers. And I'm like, well, they're not. But in the world of the movie, they're not professional singers. No, they're not. But fits their character. Yeah, and we don't have the same standards as we had for musicals back in the day where you literally had to do everything. They were like, you... You have to be, like, talented. Unless for some reason we're really pushing you, then we'll get someone to stand behind a curtain and sing for you. I think that that's actually, a, would actually be a, a reasonable thing to do. Like, if you got someone that can, like, uh, dance and act, but can't sing well, mm-hmm. Emma Watson can't act either. <laughs> but if someone lip-synced Emma Watson's lines uh, she, and sung for her, then it would have made the movie better. Not great, but I wouldn't complain about it as much as I do constantly. No, I know. And I'm like, it's like, that's, I'm like, that's one option. Either dub them or cast someone who can sing. I'm like, those are your two choices. Pick one. <laughs> Just because, I, okay. So my daughter loves the movie Sing right now. I'm the, sorry. The movie. No, actually it's not bad. It's really, really not bad. I haven't seen it. That was a bit harsh. It's cute. It's the trailers don't really cover what it's about. So it's a cute movie and everybody does their own singing in it. And they're all actually really good. But I was reading a behind the scenes interview where they were like, oh yeah, we cast the people. And then we were like, oh God, how are we going to make them sound good? And they came and they could all sing. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? I'm like, you, you didn't have them sing. First. It was just, it blew my mind that they were like, oh, we had to worry about were we going to have to do all this stuff? But no, they all sounded fine. And I was like, so you cast people because they were names. Yeah, and that's how they about, cast people now. Like, and then worried about whether they could sing after. Just for a movie that's literally entirely about a singing competition. I love that because that's part of the uh, interview process, right? Mm-hmm. It's part of their marketing. And they're like, we didn't think about whether or not they could sing in a movie called Sing. And they're like, but thank God it all, it all worked out. Taryn, Taryn Etherton can th- sing. We were fine. So it's fine. Um, w- one thing that I, I, I wish that they would do less of is that I wish that they wouldn't worry about in biopics who looks like the person and pick the best actors. Like, I don't know. I would, I would like, 
a combination. I I'm also oh, I have if you could have both. Yeah, like both is good. <laughs> I also I have a I don't know, I'm very on the fence about biopics when the person's alive. This weirds me out. It didn't work with Queen because it's all like glossed over and stuff, but uh with Rocket Man, and I haven't seen it, this is just what I've heard. With Rocket Man, um uh, Elton John I, I could not think of his name. Elton John <laughs> is just like uh I this is like all the highlights of stuff that I did in my career. But also in between that, like tons of drugs and alcohol and sex. <laughs> do my biopic. You've got to include all that stuff as well. So I just find it funny that within like a couple of years, maybe a year, I don't know when uh, Bohemian Rhapsody came out. So, yeah, only it's only been a couple of months, really. <laughs> wow. So within like a year of each other, we have two um, biopics and one of which is largely hated and another which is largely loved. My thing is that I think the um, the Queen one did itself a disservice because it's not a biopic. It's a movie about Queen. And I'm like, they shouldn't have sold it as a biopic when it was never about him. It was about the band. And how you can tell that is the way it's edited. They'll cut equal amounts between him and the other band members. And I'm like, oh, okay. So they obviously asked for that because this isn't about him. It's about the band but they marketed it like you're going to hear all about Freddie Mercury. And I'm like, except I'm not, I'm going to hear about Queen, which is fine. But I just wish you told me that. There's a, uh, there's a video. So I want to see Rocket Man. I think that it's going to be great. Um, I think that I'm going to like it. And I think that they're not going to like gloss over <coughs> all the interesting stuff about his life, but there's mm-hmm. a video online uh, called "Why There'll Never Be a Good um, Queen Bio," a good Freddie Mercury biopic, and uh, he—it's uh, by Fact Fiend, and he just went into all of the dramas that happened, mm-hmm. like before, and this was a year before it was even announced. Yeah, like, all the dramas that happened when they tried to make Queen biopics before. Yeah, and everyone has massive egos. Mm-hmm. No, I 100% believe it. I think if I was ever in a position that biopics were for some reason on the on the, the horizon, I would go full Fred Astaire and just say no. He was like, no biopics ever. And I'm like, you know what? I think that he, why do you say he said, oh, because they'd only get it wrong. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> You're not wrong. My life is not interesting enough to make a biopic. So <laughs> I'm with you. If they ever decide to make a biopic, I'd first say, thanks, why? <laughs> like um if i ever did something interesting where they wanted to make a movie about me uh then they'd have to cover all this shit that's happening now which is incredibly boring and not cinematic They'll, no they're gonna they're gonna be like then the dramatic pod pass period they'll have like all the oscar bait you could like throw something against a wall and like you know Oh my god, if instead of interviewing you, they have me interviewing like Halle Berry. <laughs> oh <laughs> man. That'd be funny. <laughs> oh, who would you want to play you in a biopic? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. What... Okay, so this is a weird thing because there are two things I want. I want it, I want to either go full Fred Astaire, so like no one's doing it, and then everybody's gonna be like, ooh, her life's so interesting. What doesn't she want us to know? Uh, or- <laughs> Fred Astaire isn't a- aloof or anything. He's just really boring. 
He's just like, or I, and then I just I want, want to watch TV. I'd want them to get it completely wrong so that oh I could God. sue them. Me <laughs> Not to sue them, but just to be like, you have, you have everything. It's like, um, what's that terrible movie that Disney made? I know that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> but um, the one that they made, oh, Saving Mr. Banks. Yes. Uh, you want that Tom level Hanks. of competence? No, worse. worse. I want it to be like, I want it to be the spinal tap of biopics. Oh, wow. <laughs> I want it to be a hot mess. <laughs> the tiptoes of biopics. Oh, my God. The performance of a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> They sell it as Oscar as Oscar bait, and they <laughs> Sundance, and then some. Literally, Tiptoes was in Sundance, and they were going to do an Oscar run after that, and then someone high up was like, "Oh no, we may have made a mistake." I don't know how they didn't quietly shoved to DVDs. I don't know how they didn't realize that when someone pitched them the premise. I just can't. Which is great. It was pitched as like a dark comedy, which is why like everyone was in it. Uh, which is, is why some people were in it. And then it was pitched as like, this is going to be about uh, an underrepresented group and you're going to win like all the Oscars. And you can see the look in their eyes when they're like, we're probably not going to win Oscars. <laughs> like we're not. <laughs> this could end us. <laughs> and then like no one brings it up and no one talks about it. And I had trouble convincing people that it exists. Oh, it came I out the same be year as Return of the King. I want to be that jackass who's like in an interview with Matthew McConaughey and is just like, so, tiptoe. <laughs> you know? I want to do that. I want, it's like um, in Saturday Night Live when, um, I, I don't know what the context is, but like they did a, they, they did, who's the guy from Dumb and Dumber? Uh, not, uh, not Jim Carrey, the other one. Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. There was a great uh, Saturday Night Live um, sketch where he's being interviewed for like uh, Hollywood Reporter or something. And it's just mm. like, let us cut to one of your biggest Oscar, uh, Oscar movies. And then it's just him on the toilet uh, in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> and they did that about seven times. It's great. <laughs> he storms off. I want to do that kind of interview, but seriously. <laughs> 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 Tiptoes oh. is amazing. Uh, people like the room, and I don't because I feel sorry for everyone involved. But everyone in Tiptoes won an Oscar. They went to do better <laughs> things, right? So I don't feel sorry for them. It's just a weird archive of just like desperation. <laughs> oh, no, people have been in some weird stuff when they thought they were going to win an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyways, though, I need to get going. And All right. We, we, we went around this, but like, I think we can say, safely say that Sting in the Rain is a great archive of the 50s and the 30s and older movies. Uh, musicals are great. Uh, Tiptoes is probably the greatest movie ever made. And, and if you need a gateway film to ease you into some classic cinemas, I think Singing in the Rain is a good one. I'm going to be covering... Uh, dramatic and longer and uh, more impactful movies to cinema when they came out. But Sing in the Rain, if you're just like, I just want something light and fun and mm -hmm. really, really fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't want like long dialogue, heavy, dramatic crap that I associate all old movies to be. 
sing in the rain. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> it was fun talking to you. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I saw Sing in the Rain before, but I got a chance to sing, see The Gay Divorcee, which is the movie that it was based on. Mm-hmm. You're expanding the lexicon. <laughs> yeah, it's great fun. Uh, where can the good people find you? Uh, the people are looking for me. The good people can find me over on YouTube at Shipper's Guide to the Galaxy for all of their fandom and shipping needs where we cover all of the random things they probably never heard of and maybe didn't want to. It's a good time. So I love it. It's really silly and fun. <laughs> it's great. <All> right. <laughs> um, you can follow me uh, at Aussie Nerds Pod on Twitter. My letterbox D page is letterboxd.com slash Aussie Nerds. Uh, subscribe to this podcast. Uh, each week we talk about someone's favorite movie and, you know, tiptoes apparently. <laughs> we have a good time. Uh, and uh, that happens every week at this time on Thursdays here uh, and then whatever else you get it. <laughs> I need to work on pitching this. Uh, Facebook, Aussie Nerds, everything's Aussie Nerds. Uh, until next time, links in the description. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>